All right. Well, good morning to everyone. This this uh, this is a chilly day. Uh, grateful that you're with us, and uh, just very mindful of many in our church family that are struggling with this uh, COVID situation. So we thank you for being here, and those of you that are with us online, we just want to welcome you, and uh, just continue to be in prayer for one another, for progress, for healing. A uh, lot of a lot of uh, struggles that people are going through. So. Uh, just want to express that. Um, Wednesday night, we do have youth groups. So that's one of the things that uh, we've kept going. We meet in the open space. We have a good time. So if uh, you know any young people that are interested in attending a youth program for a 7th through 12th grade, we would love to have them come. We have a great time together. And uh, just want to encourage those of you that know someone in that category to uh, invite them uh, to come and participate in that time. Meditating on uh, Psalm 84, and it has a beautiful statement for those that are going through extended seasons of struggle and difficulty. It's interesting. Listen to what it says. It says, what joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who has set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. That is, on a journey to where God is manifesting himself. When they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. The autumn rains will clothe it with blessings. They will continue to grow stronger, and each of them will appear before God in Jerusalem in his house. So to think about that. When they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. You know, we lost our uh, dear brother Les Clefman this week. Uh, I was talking to his wife a couple times this week, but one time for an extended period of time. And it was, it was such a sad phone call and at the same time a refreshing phone call uh, because of Jean's incredibly deep trust in her Savior and knowing that, that Les is at home with the Lord and to find the valley of weeping to become a place of refreshing because there is the experience of God's proximity in seasons of loss. And that was the one thing through this week. Uh, I don't know, for most of you, if you find yourselves waking up at night and having seasons of prayer for an extended list of needs that are present before us right now, but that valley of weeping can be a cause to draw near to God, and it becomes a place of refreshing. So just encourage you as you walk through this to lean hard on the Lord. And when you wake up in those evening times, spend time in prayer. And uh, lift up that list of names that God has on your heart that, uh, where the needs are very, very deep. Would you stand with me as we pray this morning? <clears throat> Father, thank you that the valley of weeping can become a place of refreshing. Because in our brokenness and in our struggle, we realize that nothing else in our lives can satisfy. Nothing else in our lives can bring strength and refreshing in the valley of weeping. And so, Lord, we trust that by your spirit, you will drive us into your presence. And we will find in the midst of our tears a, a beautiful sense of joy and peace. Lord, I've meditated this week on what my brother is experiencing in your presence. Uh, the joy that he knows now that we can only anticipate. 
And Lord, I thank you for that blessing to be on the Clefman and Kara family in this season of weeping joy. And Lord, for many others in our church, I just two that I know are struggling in very, very unique ways for Tom Camella and for Gail Williamson. Father, we lift them up before you and we, we lift them before you because we know that you are a God who saves and a God who heals. And so we pray that healing over them, Lord, that you would preserve their lives. This is our desire, Lord. You would preserve their lives and their usefulness in your work for your glory. Pray the same for Dana Kelly, God, just as she walks through this extended season of suffering physically, make your presence thrilling to her. Give her usefulness in these days. And above all, God, we just simply would ask that your healing hand would be resting upon her life. Give wisdom in each decision in her and Victor face. Thank you for the healing of Victor's hand. As he texted this morning, God, just, just great progress with that. So we thank you for that, Lord. Ask your blessing over this service. As James brings your word, I pray that you will fill him by your spirit so that it, it, is, it is the message that you want us to hear today. And Father, as Chase leads us in worship, we thank you for him. Pray your blessing over him as he leads the congregation today into your presence with the worship team. God, help us all to come into your temple and find it to be a place of refreshing, which we desperately need today. We pray for these blessings because of Jesus and his righteousness alone. And we say this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Let me just say this real quick. Our nursery is closed because of the current environment. Uh, so there are children in the service. Do not worry about your children if they're a little boisterous or whatever. If they get boisterous, too boisterous for you, you can go out in the foyer. The sermon is piped out there. There's rooms in the back as well. But don't feel uncomfortable about noise from the kids, okay? All right. God bless you all. Let's worship him together this morning. It's who you are. 
needs forgiveness, the kindness of the Savior.
Turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 4. And I don't know, is there junior church today? There is. So any children, you can be dismissed for junior church. And for the rest of us, would you turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 4. You ever go through a panic in your life when (laughs) this is one of these days? (laughs) So we need to pray. Let me uh, read this section and let us pray here. Ephesians chapter 4, I'll just read verses 17 to 32. It says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer live or walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They've become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, 
and to put on a new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth to his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building up as it fits the occasion, and it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let us pray. So, Father, this is your sufficient, eternal, authoritative, life-giving, and life-changing word. We, we desperately need it. And I thank you for the word of life, and I thank you for the ministry of your word given to us by your spirit, inspired these human authors, and now illumines us and helps us to see who you are and who we are. So Lord, today I pray that you would help us to walk through this. Help us to hear you. Speak to us, Father. Father, rather than seeing people around us, help us to see ourselves and help us to desire to honor you and to glorify you and magnify you. In Jesus' name we pray. So, so last week, we had an opportunity to talk, and we were looking at this concept of change, time for change. And what, what Paul was uh, saying to us is this, that as he's been writing this book, and he's been talking to you about who you are in Christ, and he's telling us about who we are in, in relationship with him, then what he says is this, he begins the second half of his book by talking about how you live like Christ. And, and Pastor Tim got an opportunity a couple of weeks ago to speak about the unity and the diversity and the uh, submission to leadership and being taught. And so that as unity comes out, as the Trinity, the triune God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are in community, we are supposed to reflect the Trinity in our community, our unity in the midst of diversity. And then last week, I got an opportunity to begin this section that talks about purity, how we live differently. See, it's not enough to believe differently. It's not even enough to be in position in God. We need to be representing him. Part of the reason why we are here as a body of believers is to represent ourselves, represent God to a lost and to a dying world. And if you remember last week, I gave you two basic metaphors. I gave you the metaphor of walking, and then I gave you the metaphor of wearing. And if you remember, last week we talked about the walk is a continuous action. That means it is something that you're doing every single day of your life. And it's not only an action that you do, it's a way of life. It's a continual mannerism of life, but it's about advancement. When we walk, we are moving in a certain direction. And we talked here last week about the fact that 
Paul is laying a huge contrast about who you were and where you were and where you need to be going in a different direction. We talked about the why of change and we talked about how when we began the how of change. If you remember last week, we talked about the why. This is who you used to be. You used to be living like Gentiles, like the world. And then he talked about the futility of their mind. There was this uselessness, this fruitlessness in their lives. And he talked about the fact that there's a belief structure that's behind it. He says they are darkened in their understanding, ignorant and alienated from God. And he talked about the reason for that darkness, the reason for that ignorance, the reason for that alienation is because they be, they're hardened in their heart. And their hearts deep down are against God. They are at war with God. And that's who all of us were outside of the work of Christ in our lives. We suppressed the truth of God. We rejected him. We didn't care about him. We were unteachable. That was us. All of us prior to God. But what God says is this. God comes into our lives and takes that I don't care attitude out. And it gives you a heart's desire to honor him. But if you remember last week, we talked about it's not just the belief structure that is futile, dark, ignorant, alienated, and hard. It is a lifestyle. It's beliefs and leading to behaviors. And if you remember last week, we talked about they are unfeeling. They are given over and they are covetous and corrupt. So this unfeeling nature that lives in life, you know, this is um, Sanctity of Life Sunday. And on this Sunday, we think about the number of babies that have been aborted in our country and around this world. But this world has gotten to a place where we are so unfeeling about that. We don't think about it any longer. We don't think about a life in the womb any longer. It's just cells. And we become unfeeling and given over and we are covetous and, and corrupt deep down. And Paul says, you move from what you, how you walk to how you wear, what you wear, what you put on. And if you remember, he said here, but that is not how you, verse 20, not the way you learned Christ. And we made a specific point of saying last week, it's not only that you learned about Christ, but it is learning, learning Christ. You got into a relationship with him. He has learned you. He's known you forever. But we start to learn him and we get into this relationship. And he says that not only have you learned about the person of Christ, but then verse 21, assuming that you've heard him and were taught in him as truth is in Christ alone. We talked about the fact that you were set free in the person and work of Christ alone. And that it is we have been freed from our condemnation, free from the curse of the law, free from sin, free from the curse of Adam, free from spiritual uh, death, free from condemnation, free from the power of sin. All of that is in Christ. We have been freed from the authority of Satan in our lives. We have been set free. There are two people in this world, those that are in Christ and those that are not. And for all of you that sit here this morning, I pray that you are ones that are in Christ. And we talked about faith, that it's not just learning information about Christ, but it is about faith in Christ. It is about repentance, turning away from an old life and turning to Christ alone. It's more than just knowledge, but you do need a knowledge of your lost position. It's more than just knowledge of Christ's remedy. We need to not only know it, but the affections deep down need to change, that my heart needs to change, that I need to be desiring him. I need to have a broken and contrite heart. And that broken and contrite heart is now drawn to Christ. And what God wants to do is to represent himself 
in you and then through you. See, that's what makes us magnificent. He takes this broken, sinful, corrupt person and he changes you from the inside out and so that you can start to reflect him. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he, he washed the disciples' feet. And then he says, I have given you the pattern of love and I want you to go out and love so that the world may know me. So that as you become a loving person in your life, in your family, in this community of believers and out in the world, as you become that loving person, people will start to see more of Christ in your life. That's the, rec that's the mechanism. And so not only is it a knowledge of sin and an affection and a desire, but now it is the will that you need to turn. You need to turn away from a sinful way of life. You need to turn to Christ alone. That is what you did in salvation. Now, what Paul says is this is interesting. In verse 22, I argued last week that verses 22 through 24 were how you were saved. Now, instead of just seeing these as commands, Paul, I believe, is arguing this is how you were saved, so now continue to live this way. Watch what he says in verse 22. He says, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. When you were saved, you said, I am done with that old life. Then to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, the Holy Spirit regenerates you and does something different inside of you. And then to put on a new self, you walk away, you turn away from sin, you turn to Christ. That is how we were saved. Repentance and faith, turn away and trust. And Paul is saying that that's how you were saved that way continue to live every day that way see the gospel the beauty of the gospel is this it's not just for a non-believer the beauty of the gospel is for every single believer in this world that we turn away from sin we trust in christ alone and we turn a different direction and we live in a way that represent christ in this world see what was broken in genesis chapter 3 at the fall the shattered image, we were all created in the image of God, but the shattered image was broken at the fall. And what God is trying to do is to recreate the beautiful image of God living in you. And so now what happens if this community of believers starts to represent Christ in all the beauty and all the glory and all the majesty that we, we start to love one another and are truthful with one another and kind and compassionate to one another. So you hear the God message, you are taught the message, but now you start to live out the life. Not just external religiosity, but it is something that has changed from the inside out. See, now that's what real salvation is. Well, Paul is arguing this way you were saved and that's what I wanna see you do. Now, let's be honest. When you think about your relationships today, your relationships are complex and challenging. And Paul is going to talk the second half of the book about relationships. He's going to give us some principles that I'm going to try to lay out today that we are called to do. And then over the next several weeks, we're going to see those principles lived out in how you walk in life, how you walk in marriage, how you walk in church, how you walk in the family, and how you deal with spiritual warfare God is saying that they're basic truths that I need you to know. And so he says that relationships are complex and challenging. And, and what I know is this, as you reflect back, I have had my greatest joys have been in relationship. 
and my deepest sorrows have been in relationship. And I know that's you, and I know that's, I know that's me. I want you to know that as you struggle with your relationships, maybe right now you're in the midst of really challenging relationships, and if you feel like you cannot ever find hope and healing, I want you to know that you can flourish. That if you trust in the person, follow his principles, and follow his pathway for change, he could do something different in your life and through your life. But the question is, who, who are you trusting? Because sin ruptures every relationship. One author said that, two authors said that relationships are messy, and they are. But they're also opportunities for God to rescue us from ourselves. The most challenging relationships I've ever had have exposed the deepest sins in my life that God has been wrestling out of my life so that I can start to represent him more. So even through the most difficult times of your life, God can use that in redemptive ways to show his glory. God shows us our inability to love one another through relationships. God shows us our, our tendency to rely on other people rather than Christ in our relationships. That's what God does for us. I want you to think about the broken community that, that is around us. The brokenness that maybe you're experiencing right now. And I want you to think about this, that the reconciling grace of God is greater than that brokenness. That if God can rescue you from the vertical separation, why can he not rescue you horizontally in your relationships? If the gospel is powerful enough to deal with hell in our lives, why cannot the gospel be powerful enough to bring healing restoration in marriages or parents and children or family members or friends but there's something that we just don't believe we believe that the gospel is strong enough to deal with our spiritual issues but we don't really believe the gospel is strong enough for our relational issues I want you to know that this is going to take some work. And as Paul talks here, he is talking about the fact that there is going to be a challenge and you're going to have to do something. You're going to have to put some effort into this. But if you put effort into it to hear God and to learn from God and to be taught in God and then to represent God, God can do something amazing in you. And then he gets all the glory because you start to um, represent him. What the world feels, and maybe what you're feeling today, is disillusioned. Maybe you are feeling discouraged in your relationships. But I can tell you that if you are devoted to knowing Christ and representing him in the world, he can do something different for you. So my aim, and I believe that Paul's aim, and greater than that, God's aim, is that the shattered image of sin that's in your life, that through that, that we could see the glory of the Redeemer, the glory of Christ. And that through that, that he is doing an ever-present work in your life and in my life to redeem his image more and more. What would that be like for you? If he starts to be represented sorry, represented in, in the way we live. Let me just say one last thing before we jump into this passage. Your salvation is of three phases, and this is so important for you to know. Your salvation has a past portion to it. So it, in essence, when scripture talks, it talks about that we have been saved from. Saved from what? We've been saved from the penalty of sin. 
For all of us that trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, there was a past place. February, um, when I was 13 years old, at Pinebrook Bible Conference, I heard the gospel message, and God rescued me from my sin, rescued me from Satan, rescued me from hell, and he brought me into his family. He redeemed me. He justified me, and he adopted me. That's what Paul's argument in the first part of this book is. Justification is this, that you've been declared not guilty before God. You have been innocent in his sight because what he does is he applies your sin to Christ's account and he applies Christ's perfect righteousness to yours and you've been brought into his family. You have been justified and you've been adopted. You've been saved. You've been saved from the penalty of sin. You will never have to stand before God and have to deal with the condemning nature of your sin ever again. You will never stand before God as the judge who is going to send you to an eternity in hell if you trust in him. You've been saved from penalty of sin. But there's a second phase of salvation, which is so important. And that's what Paul's going to be dealing with here. It's the phase of sanctification where it's present in your life and you're being saved from the power of sin in your life. You've been saved from the penalty of sin. You no longer have to stand before God in the condemning nature any longer, but you are still a sinner. Positionally, I've been made righteous, but practically I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, practically my thoughts are not godly at times. Practically my words are not godly, and practically my actions are not godly for me and for you. And what God does is, in this present place, he is rescuing you from the power of sin. He will even use those difficult relationships to expose how the power of sin has gripped my life, James, or gripped your life. And that process is progressive. It's step by step. It's the Holy Spirit coming inside of your life and then you aligning yourself with him. Justification and adoption are solely God's work. You don't do anything there. But in sanctification, it's cooperative. That God comes inside of your life, Christ in you, by his Holy Spirit, and then you and your efforts working together. And now as you're doing that progressively, he is loosening the grip of sin in your life so that you start to look like him again. The third phase of salvation is that we take our last breath, we go to heaven, and it's called glorification. We've been saved from the penalty of sin. We've been saved progressively from the power of sin. And then ultimately, when we take our last breath, we go to heaven and we are saved ultimately from the presence of sin. It's gone. What a glorious day. But until that day, we live in this world and we have these wars that go on. Wars around us, but the primary war is within us. Is it about me and my glory or is it about Christ and his glory? Is it about me and my rule, or is it about Christ and his rule? See, that's the issue. Every one of our relational difficulties comes down to who is on the throne of your heart and your life. Just think about it. Think about the relationships that you've gone through. Your family that you grew up with, you know. What were the unspoken rules? What were the ways that you handled conflict? How did you solve problems in the home that you grew up in? I mean, really. Did you ever see anybody ever seek forgiveness? Was forgiveness ever granted in that home life? How did they communicate? Was it uplifting or was it degrading and discouraging? Maybe the home that you're living in right now. What were the conversations like around the dinner table if you ever sat down around the dinner table? What were the subjects that you could never talk about? What were the things that were unresolved? See, those dynamics that you see in the family or the dynamics that you have in your family today communicate 
And what Paul is arguing is this, I, I want you to be able to see something radically different in your life. One last thing before I jump into this section. We have a fatal flaw as human beings. We tend to believe that the problem is outside of us rather than inside of us. We get it backwards. You made me do this. And so we blame everybody around us, whether it's my dad or my mom or my brother or my sister or my wife or my kids or my boss or whoever it is. We blame people for the reason that we are today, the reason why we are the way we are today. And it's a fatal flaw. And change will never happen in your relationships unless you recognize that change has to happen within James chapter 4, James said this, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You want something and you don't have it, so you kill and covet. That there's a war that happens within you, and that's what develops all the relational dynamics that you have today. So I want you to know every painful situation that you've gone through is an opportunity for God to reveal himself to you. So let's look at this. He says, I want you to walk in a certain way, and I want you to wear something different. I want you to dress in a successful way. I want you to dress your best. And how do you do that? Let's start with the first one. Verse 25. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak truth to his neighbors, for we are one with another. He starts by talking about this idea of truth. I don't know what happens in your relationships, but a lot of times we find lies have been at the heart of a lot of relational breakdowns. I just don't believe you. I don't trust you. You've, you've gossiped about me. You've slandered me. You've put me down. All the rumors that you hear, you know, in churches today, rumors, gossip. Oh, did you hear what Pastor James did? And so all of these type of things go on in relationship and these lies destroy Lies are interesting because lies tell you that it will protect you and promote you, but what it actually does is it destroys you and it destroys relationships. Lies are right from, it's the conversation of, of Satan. He is called a liar and a murderer. He is called the deceitful one. So what happens is not only do we believe lies and hear lies, now what we do is we communicate lies. And we wrap ourselves around this falsehood. Jesus says that the truth is found in his word and in him. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Paul is going to argue, and as he talks here, I want you to see what he tells you to put on, what he tells you to take off, and then he tells you to have a different way of viewing life. He says, I want you to put away falsehood. So most of us tend to look at lying, and we look at the major ways that people lie, and it's like, well, I don't do that. But I want you to think about just even those things what we call white lies. I want you to see ways that you may exaggerate the truth, expand on things that are just not true. Maybe we even lie in not communicating. Somebody says something and we know it's not true, but we don't say anything. Don't say anything about that guy. And when we are silent, we are communicating that we agree with it, and therefore we are lying. You can lie even when you don't speak with your words. And so at the heart of it, the lie, at the heart of sin, is a lie. Satan lied to our four parents in Genesis 3. He's been lying to every single one of us, and we have been buying it. 
See, that's why God's word is so important to you and to me, because what we need to be able to do is to go to God's word and to hear God's word, because it's God's word that is going to expose the things that are wrong in your life, and he's the one that is going to bring you to truth. So he says, take off this lie. Stop the falsehood. One last thing before I move on. He says, put away falsehood. In the Greek, it's interesting. He says, put away the falsehood, in essence. Once again, I believe that he's going back to your salvation. At the moment of your conversion, what did you do? You put off the, the falsehood that I could be saved on my own. The falsehood that I don't need Christ. The falsehood that God is going to bring me to heaven just because I'm a right person. See, you put off the falsehood, so why are you leaning on lower falsehoods every day? Paul says, you put off the falsehood. Now, I want you to instead put on speaking truth. Instead of upside down and inside out living, I want you to live in such a way that you are radically truthful. What would happen if you were radically truthful? That, you know, my, my wife says, you know, James, you know, you did this, or, you know, I'm a little con concerned about this. And I go, you know, Amy, you're absolutely right. I did it. Instead of covering it up, instead of blaming somebody else, instead of shifting responsibility, I own it. You're right. Speak radical truth. When you hear that there's a falsehood going on and somebody's talking, you bold enough to say, that's just not true and that's not the way we're called to handle it. What would happen if this congregation became a congregation of radically truthful people? Life would change. Now, if you're radically truthful as well, you're going to get a lot of people upset with you. <laughs> Let's be honest. Jesus Christ was the most radically truthful person that ever lived and they wanted to crucify him. But when that happens, you're starting to represent Christ. And Paul not only says, I want you to stop one thing, I want you to start something else. He says, I'm giving you the reason for it. He says, you are a member of one another. You remember you were adopted into the family? You're part of God's family. And so if I lie to you, I'm in essence destroying me and our group and our family. What Paul is going to argue is that you need to be radically truthful for the healing of this whole body. If there was a portion of your body that was attacking other portions of your body, what would you try to do? The doctor would try to eradicate it. Because we cannot allow that one portion of our body to continue to destroy. Because if it does, it is going to infiltrate the whole body. Well, that's what happens in a body of believers. When we don't deal with that sin of lying we find ourselves being destroyed by it. There's a second thing he says. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Anger must have been a major issue in this church because if you jump down to verse uh, 31, he says, let all bitterness, wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. So they must have had a significant anger problem in this community. I don't know what was happening, but they had not dealt with their anger well. And anger is interesting because anger is this sense of there is something that I want and you are not giving it to me. And so when we get angry, we have this tendency to elevate this thing that we think we need, and we find ourselves getting frustrated by other people, so we are going to try to control the dynamic to get what we want, and we get angry. 
Some of us are aggressive with our anger and it is outward. Some of us are passive with our anger and we can't tell it. You can't see it on the surface. But at the heart of it, it's wondering, once again, is it the thing that I think I desperately need? Or is it about Christ? Christ, what we find ourselves doing is that we have ourselves magnifying him. When we don't do that, we're going to be magnifying ourselves. So I wonder if you're an angry person, do people see you as an angry person? The Bible tells us that there are righteous forms of anger that can happen in your life. And righteous forms of anger happen when you have a biblical standard for your anger, that you're doing it with a motive that's going to honor God, and you display it in a way that's going to represent him. Biblical motive, biblical standard, biblical display. Now, if you, if you got it, the reality is, is I can tell you that I hate abortion. I have a biblical motive behind it. I can have a biblical standard. Maybe there's a biblical motive. But now what happens if my motive in my heart changes and now I start to act in ungodly ways, I have now taken something that is a righteous anger and it's become unrighteous. And the vast majority of us in life do not handle our anger well. We do not handle our anger by God's word. We do not handle our anger with Christ as the center. And we do not handle our anger in a God-honoring way. And I can't tell you how many relationships I have seen that have been destroyed because of anger within. And Paul says this, do not let the sun go down on your anger. When you let the sun go down on your anger, you become bitter and resentful. It sees within. You know, it's like that, that food in the back of your refrigerator that you didn't know about and you pull it out. It's all moldy. It's all nasty. It's like, oh, it smells. That's almost what happens in your heart when you've allowed anger to reside deep in there. It is disgusting. It festers. And Paul says, don't let your son, the sun go down on your anger. Because when you do this, here's the mindset. Put off sinful anger. Put on settled relationships. Here's the mindset. Because when you don't do that, you give the devil an opportunity in your life. So you've been rescued from Satan. Why do you keep dragging him into your relationships? You drag him into your relationships when you lie. You drag him into your relationships when you don't deal with your anger in God-honoring ways. There's a third thing he says. Let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor doing an honest work with his own hands. In this community of believers, there were, um, in, the, in Ephesus, they thieved a lot. They stole a lot. And one of the things that they would do is they would believe that they deserve this from somebody else. So what they would do is they would attack other people. They would swindle other people to get what they wanted. That's how they thought they would get ahead in life. And what Paul is saying is this, I want you to stop living like you used to do in thievery, and I want you to start to live in such a way that you work hard. So Paul says, stop thievering, start working. Why? Here's the mindset so that I can give. What happens if every single day of our lives we worked so hard, not just so we could have a big house or nice cars or nice clothes, but we worked really hard so that we don't have to steal from others, number one, that we can work hard, number two, but we do it so that we can give. See, if Jesus Christ, who was rich, but for your sakes became poor, that we, through his poverty, might become rich, he wants us to represent the same. He wants you to have a radically different mindset. God has given you everything in Christ, and now give to other people. What would happen if you're married? 
and your family or this church became one that didn't just steal from people, taking time. You know, we steal in so many ways. I could probably do a whole sermon on just the stealing piece. We steal from our bosses. We steal from one another. We steal from God. And, and when we think about stealing, oftentimes you think about materialism. But we could steal emotionally. We can steal relationally. We can steal in so many ways. And Paul is saying this, stop stealing, start working, and give. Pretty cool. Fourth, he says, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building up as it fits the occasion that we may have grace to hear, I'm sorry, that it may give grace to those who hear. Communication is an essential in human relationships. You, you cannot have a healthy relationship without communication. You need to be able to speak well. When you don't communicate well, issues are unresolved. When you don't communicate well, wrong ideas are uncovered. When you don't communicate well, conflict and misunderstandings are unresolved. When you don't communicate well, there's confusion and disorder. When you don't communicate well, there's boredom and discontentment in relationships. When you don't communicate well, you're tempted to look for something other to make you happy. We need to be able to communicate well. See, it is, it is so vital that God spoke this world into existence. That when he spoke this world into existence, he is saying to you that your communication is so important for you. Does your communication represent him? He says, don't let corrupting talk come out of your mouth. What's corrupting talk? Any talk that doesn't represent him. Any talk that doesn't glorify him. Any talk that builds, builds you up and hurts other people. But watch, he says, stop corrupting talk, but only building up talk. Talk that's going to encourage one another. Talk that is going to build up Christ in your life and build up Christ in another person's life. What would your marriage be like? What would your family be like? What would this church be like if your communication was about building people up in Christ? Not tearing them down. We have this natural tendency to look at the sins of others because we believe their sins are the reason why I struggle, right? It's your reason, your fault for the way I'm feeling the way I'm feeling. It's a lie. We've gone inside out, upside down. It, I am the way I am because of me. You may be exposing me. But now, if I am communicating in such a way that it is uplifting God, honoring God, it's so huge. He gives this principle in uh, verse 30, which is interesting. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That's another one. Why does he, it almost seems like he, he says, stop, start, stop, start, stop, start. And then all of a sudden he throws in here, stop grieving the Holy Spirit. Why? I honestly believe that it's, it's the way that our relationships are mostly built on our communication with one another. The beauty of words. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word that God has given us in the Bible, the word that God gives you to be able to speak, he has given you the opportunity to be a, a voice for God to a dark world. And when we take that, that privilege of speech and attack one another, we grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, what are you doing? James kind of talked about this. He says, out of your same mouth comes praising and cursing. My brothers and sisters, it's not the way it's supposed to be. That out of your lips are supposed to be representing what's happening in your heart. Because your heart has been radically transformed by Christ. 
And now Christ in you becomes hope and glory. So it grieves the Holy Spirit when we take words and attack one another. So take off falsehood, put on truth, because you're a member of one another. In your anger, stop sinful anger, put on subtle relationships, because you don't want to give the devil an opportunity. Stop thieving, start working, so that you can have something to share with others and give. Stop corrupting talk, start building up talk, because it will give grace to those who hear, and you don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. And the last one, let no all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor be put away from you. Paul goes down this list of all these types of anger, and he's, he's attacking these type of anger in your life. One is, is a smoldering anger. One is an explosive anger. One is a festering anger. They're all different types of anger. And what he is saying is this, whether it's explosive or implosive, where it's, you're stuffing it and clamming up, or you're exploding out, anger destroys relationships. I could dare say that my anger has brought about more destruction in my relationships than anything else, bar none. And maybe for you, the same is true. And what Paul's argument is this, stop that stuff, but what are you supposed to put on? Watch, verse 32, be kind. Instead of hard-hearted, tender-hearted, soft. Instead of unforgiving, forgiving one another. And why am I forgiving one another? Because Christ has forgiven me. Matthew 18, Jesus gave this story about this man who owed a bazillion dollars to this king. And the king was going to throw him in prison. And the man begged him, king, please let me be forgiven of this debt. And the king canceled that debt. And you know the story. The guy goes out and finds somebody that owes him $40,000. It's a lot of money, but it's not a bazillion. And he wants to throw that guy who owed him $40,000, something that that guy could pay off. He wants to throw him in prison even after the debt was canceled, the greatest debt that he could never pay. And when you start to wrap your mind about how God has forgiven you, So I wonder what it is that you're wearing. Do you wear your best robe? Do you wear your best clothes? Are you wearing God and are you walking in God? Last verse before we close. Therefore, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ has loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. When you let your mind become so dominated with what Christ has done for you, that should so radically change you inside and that should come out in the fruit of your life outside. And you'll be radically truthful because that's just who Christ was. And you will be settling relationships because that's who Christ was and is. And you will be an effort. You'll be working hard to give to other people because that's who Christ was in this earth and that's who he is. 
And you will be one who has building up speech because that's who Christ was and is. And you will be a forgiving person because that's who Christ was and is. And that's Paul's whole argument. Repentance and faith turn away from bad, trust in Christ alone, live differently, represent him. I pray that that's our call for our marriages. I pray that that's our call for our homes. I pray that that's our call for this church. Not by our grace, not by our power, but by his grace and for his glory. Let's pray. So, Father, I I thank you that when scripture tells us that we were made in your image, it's so important to remind ourselves that you are a relational God. And that relation, that, that image has been broken, marred. Marred because of our sin, marred because of our selfishness, self, self-centeredness, self-sufficiency, self-justification, all the self-image things that we elevate. We make much of ourselves and, and very little of you and your son. Lord, please forgive us for that. Now, Father, I pray that you would help us to walk in a way that honors you, but help us to wear the clothing of what it looks like to be a Christian. I pray that people could look at our lives and say, wow, there is something radically different about you. What is it? And then give us opportunities to be able to speak about Christ. Father, far too often we don't look much different. We don't wear the different clothing than the world wears. They don't see anything different about us. I pray that you would help us to walk differently, wear differently, for the glory and honor of your name. By your grace and for your glory, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We, uh, stand and sing our closing song. Just the first verse in the chorus of Good, Good Father. Oh, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night and you tell me that you're pleased and that i'm never alone you're a good good father it's who you are it's who you are it's who you are and i'm loved by you it's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am, you're a good, good father, it's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you, it's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. Lord, I just thank you for this time that we get to spend together. God, I ask that you would just uh, be with everyone as the snow comes, Lord. Everyone home safe. And uh, Lord, we just ask that you would be with us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.